0: To everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of Veritas at VeritasRadio.com. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. And if this is your first time or your truth journey brought you here, welcome home. And to listen to tonight's full interview and hundreds of other hours of great interviews, just go to VeritasRadio.com and subscribe. Give yourself the gift of truth. And if you want to be a guest, or a whistleblower, or simply you want to contact me, just use the contact button of our website. I'd love to hear from you. And don't forget to also visit sanitasradio.com to listen to other great interviews. It's your life. Take control. And today we go around the world to discuss one of my favorite topics, geopolitics with one of my favorite geopolitical experts of our time and a veteran of this radio program. Tonight's special guest is William Engdahl, a strategic risk consultant and lecturer. He holds a degree in politics from Princeton University and is a best-selling author on oil and geopolitics, exclusively for the online magazine New Eastern Outlook. He is the author of many books. And to learn more about William Engdahl, visit his website at williamengdahl.com, which is also linked at ours. And by the way, I have All of his books. And if you are somebody like me who likes to know about geopolitics, you must have his books in your library. And directly from Frankfurt, Germany, I would like to welcome William Engdahl. Hello, William, and welcome back to Veritas.
1: Thank you, Mel. I
0: want to really go around the world for the next two hours and discuss your most recent articles. But let's begin with the one that caught my attention recently. It's titled, Russia Saves the World from a One-World Dictatorship of Bankers and the military. You begin with, quote, something remarkable is taking place in Russia, and it's quite different from what we might expect. Rather than feel humiliated and depressed, Russia is undergoing what I would call a kind of renaissance, a rebirth as a nation, unquote. Why doesn't the Western media talk about this renaissance and simply portrays Putin as the new enemy, when in fact he's the one rescuing his country from the ashes, if you will?
1: The reason that Russia is being demonized, uh, and China will be very quickly on the heels of that demonization from Washington, from the neoconservatives, from the military industrial complex, from Wall Street, uh, you name it, the think tanks that feed that, that uh, hate, the reason is that Russia today represents one of the strongest magnetic poles for potential peace in the world in combination with China, in combination with the BRICS countries, Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, in combination with the Shanghai Organization countries, which was started some years ago, between China, Russia, Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan, and Central Asian republics, and uh, the Eurasian Economic Union, which Russia is Uh, forming together with Belarus and Kazakhstan and Armenia and several other candidate members. And what, what is happening is that power is slipping from what I call the American oligarchs. You know, we talk in the Western media for about 20 years about the Russian oligarchs. And nobody talks about the reality staring us right in the face. America has oligarchs. And these bloody oligarchs, and they are really bloody, uh, the Bill Gateses, the Warren Buffetts, the George Soroses, the David Rockefellers, the Ted Turners, and so forth, uh, they have essentially usurped the powers that were established uh, in the separation of powers in the American Constitution after 9-11 when George W. Bush and Dick Cheney were uh, running the show in Washington or having— uh, pretending they were running the show, uh, the country underwent kind of a coup d'etat from these oligarchs, and suddenly we had no more de facto Bill of Rights uh, worth a darn anymore in our constitutional guarantees of freedom of speech, of freedom from unwarranted search and seizure, etc., etc., etc. Terrorism justified everything, just as the national security justified everything during the Cold War against the Soviet Union. The power is slipping from these American oligarchs everywhere you look. Russia and China are beginning to talk about multi-billion-dollar energy deals, pipelines connecting their two vast countries. They're building uh, credit rating agencies to end run the corrupt Wall Street: Moody's, Standard and Poor's, uh, Fitch's. Uh, Monopoly on global credit ratings of nations and others. And they're diverting their uh, currency tra- transactions from the dollar. They're de dollarizing because, as long as the dollar is the support system of world trade in the world economy, uh, the US Treasury, the Federal Reserve, has the power to destroy the economies of the entire world, which is what they're trying pretty hard to do. So, Russia. And China have begun collaborating in a way that uh, the American oligarchs are terrified of. They're, they're, they're actually, I think, in reality, uh, a, a quite insecure lot of, of, of characters, uh, despite all their self-assurances that they're the gods of, of the world or gods of money or whatever. And uh, nations are making their own arrangements, independent of Washington. Things that weren't supposed to happen 20 years ago, no one dared to do that. Well, now uh, whole sections of the world are daring to do that. The Arab Spring, which was created by the CIA and the U.S. State Department and so forth back in 2010, 2011, 2012. And so that was launched by Washington because Gaddafi in Libya, Ben Ali in Tunisia, Mubarak in Egypt, uh, we're beginning to build an Islamic central bank that would have a gold backed dinar or gold backed currency, which was not the dollar, that would facilitate the vast trade of these oil rich countries and, and uh, commodity rich countries among each other without the dollar controlling them. And that could not be allowed to happen if the vast monies of, uh, of the Gulf oil producing states of uh, libya and so forth got out of the control of new york banks and and london banks Uh, they deemed that a catastrophe that couldn't be allowed to happen so what did they do they just bombed libya to the stone age this was hillary clinton's wonderful gift uh, Mm -hmm. to world peace right and so forth so russia russia is the only power on the face of the earth that has the military means to checkmate the power of the Pentagon. China doesn't yet have that. They know that. And uh, China and Russia in combination are simply uh, blocking this David Rockefeller's uh, term, one world government or uh, new world order, as he calls it.
0: So they're creating a synergy. In what sense? In what sense? China does not have the military yet. However, they surpassed Well,
1: China and Russia, yes, yes. Russia
0: does, but China has the GDP now to do that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, China has the the GDP, the economic means. China is the greatest builder on the face of the earth today, like uh, America was in the uh, period around the time of, of the First World War, or just before, when we were building trans Pacific railways and infrastructure, and uh, the emergence in the 1920s and 30s of the electric power grid, the hydroelectric projects. Well, China is doing all of that, and they are the world leader in building high speed rail lines. So now they're hooking up with the Russian state railway system, talking about a rail link going from Vladivostok and Peking. All the way to Rotterdam in Holland in, in Europe, and that would cut time off of the ocean freight uh, trade from from China to Europe uh, vastly, and cut the, uh, co- the cost of, of essentially doing business. So infrastructure is the key, not free markets. Infrastructure is the key to making man-made markets. The person who came up with this term free markets is a raving idiot. I don't care who it was, if it was Milton Friedman or Margaret Thatcher or Ronald Reagan, right. there is no such thing as a free market. Like there's no such thing as a vacuum in nature. Nature, of course, is a vacuum. Markets are man-made and the Chinese are making the markets and the Russians, they have the raw materials, the natural gas. They also have the most sophisticated military designs in the world today. They're they're beyond Uh, You know, the Pentagon talks about its F-35 from Lockheed Martin, the uh, all-service fighter jet. The thing is a catastrophe that will cost American taxpayers an estimated one and a half trillion dollars. And the darn thing doesn't work. Russian uh, fighter jets can run circles around this and have. And uh, because it's one size fits all for the Marines, for the Army, for the Air Force and so forth, it's one of these planes by committee projects it's a complete disaster but the military industry doesn't care as long as they get the taxpayer money to, to play with and that's that's the kind of morality that uh, has taken over washington in the last i would say the last 35, 40 years it's gotten quite 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 bad and many of us americans feel bad about our country feel bad about ourselves We try to block it out by making wars everywhere, some of us. And I think it's time we wake up and really look at ourselves and say, what are we doing in the world? What are we letting these people in Washington do to us?
0: The war on terror, or the war for terror, as I call it. But China has about, what, $1.28 trillion in, in U.S. holdings debt, which has gone down recently. But if and when we start demonizing China? Hypocritically, I mean, we have the, the biggest communist country in the world lending the biggest capitalist country in the <laughs> world. But when we start demonizing China, like we're demonizing Russia, couldn't yeah. they just cash out? And wouldn't this be an act of war?
1: They could just cash out. I don't think they will because the Chinese are, they come out of a Confucian culture. I've been to China many times over the last years. And talk with many, many, many Chinese academics, with uh, military people, with government people. And they're very, very cautious, thinking step by step ahead and uh, don't like to act rashly So they don't know what the knock-on effects will be. So I don't see it likely that they're going to, uh, in one sudden blow, dump $1.3 trillion of U.S. treasuries. They are thinking in terms of asymmetrical warfare, and they know that the Asia pivot of Obama, uh, although it's been on on ice for the last two years because of the need to focus on Russia, the Asia pivot is directed against China uh, completely. The shifting of American military might from the Middle East to Asia over the next several years, and that means uh, they're going to start the Putin treatment on on China very, very soon. The Chinese, I think, are aware of this.
0: Will we ever see Japan rise again as a military power because of all of this?
1: Japan is a mess. Uh, If you go back to the Plaza Hotel Accord uh, on the dollar-yen back in the 80s, uh, when James Baker uh, was Treasury Secretary and got the... uh, uh, was essentially put the pistol to the head of the the Japanese government and Japanese Central Bank. And uh, at that point, Japan destroyed its economy on orders of Washington, and it's been destroyed ever since. So Japan, in that sense, today under Abe, is an occupied uh, country. The Abe mafia was put in place by the U.S. after World War II, the LDP party, the Liberal Democratic Party. And uh, they're connected with all the worst people in Washington, the neoconservatives, uh, you know, the, the, the war makers. Whether Japan will arm itself, I think there's a growing faction within the Japanese institutions that is opposed to Abe and his populist, uh, you know, nationalist uh, jingoism. And I don't, e- even if they were to, to decide to change the constitution tomorrow... It would take decades for them to come to a point where they would be a threat to uh, world peace. But uh, it's the idea is to get a string of pearls surrounding China, Japan, the Philippines, Australia, uh, Indonesia, uh, Myanmar or Burma if, if they can manage that, which Malaysia, they don't, Malaysia, and so forth, and Vietnam, and it's not working. It's not working. The AIIB, this Asian infrastructure investment bank that China came up with back last October, now suddenly everybody and their uncle, except for the United States and Japan, interesting, Germany, France, UK, all of Asia, uh, want to be a member of this Chinese infrastructure bank because they want to. Be, they have a huge infrastructure deficit. Uh, if they're going to modernize their economies over the next 20, 30 years, and this is a vehicle as they see it to do that. So I think this is the way that nations cooperate and have peaceful peaceful relations through economic ties and not through uh, saber rattling and wars and shooting at each other over islands in the, in the uh, South China Sea and whatnot.
0: Now, Malaysia, let me just take a, a quick look at Malaysia for a moment. Two planes get lost. In a span of just a few months now, a hel- helicopter carrying high-ranking Malaysian officials, including the former ambassador to the U.S., crashes. Are we trying to send Malaysia a message here, William?
1: I think it's broader than that. I've, uh, the helicopter details I'm not uh, not up to speed on, but the uh, I think the idea is... Some very bad people, and uh, we can speculate which nation's intelligence agency, with three-letter acronym, might be behind this, and has the power to simply reroute airplanes in midair and bring them wherever they want them. Uh, I think they want to terrify us, us human beings, that uh, that could happen anywhere at any time. It could. Happen in a mountain in in France on the way back from a holiday. uh, In Spain. In in Spain, rather. Well, no, in France, way back from Barcelona to Germany. Right, exactly. It can happen uh, in Ukraine, uh, you know, from Holland to uh, on the way to uh, Russia or to Malaysia, rather. Uh, And so by repeating the Malaysian airline, you you underscore the message. Now, I don't think it's particularly Aimed at Malaysia. I think it's aimed at us to make us really scared to connect up with other people in the world.
0: Well, couldn't the same thing be said about 9 11? If they had the technology to pulverize those towers, basically saying, you don't do what we say, whoever's behind the scenes, we can do it to anybody at any time.
1: Well, that created a lot of fear in the world, certainly in American populations. Created so much fear that the Congress rubber-stamped the tearing up of the American Constitution, one of the finest uh, documents that the the mind of man has come up with for government. So, uh, you know, we reacted as a nation in fear, irrational fear, and that's never a good uh, cause to make dramatic decisions.
0: But the more a population is in fear, the more money somebody makes, call them defense contractors, military. Now, how do you compare today's Russia with the Russia you visited back in 1994 when you were invited by an economics think tank?
1: It's a different country. Ninety-four, there were Mercedes 600 limousines speeding down the eight-lane boulevards in downtown Moscow with no license plates, with darkened windows, and I asked my uh, taxi driver, a simple Russian, what is that all about? I lawless. Was so diplomatic, and he just put in his finger and he said, bang, bang, mafia, mafia, mafia. And it was a lawless society. Yeltsin and his family were just stealing everything that wasn't bolted down, and uh, many things that were bolted down. Uh, they were doing that with the connivance of the... Clinton administration with, with Al Gore and Chernomirden and uh, uh, Jeffrey Sachs, the whole Harvard shock therapy mafia. George Soros was all over the place mm-hmm. there. And uh, Russians were traumatized. They really believed that America was the land of the free and the home of the brave. And what happens, all these American advisors come in and rape their country, rape their women, rape their... Steal their uh, homes and, and so forth in the name of free market, and it took about ten years before things could kind of semi-stabilize under the first Putin presidency in nineteen ninety nine, and uh, it's it's been a difficult process. But what I I've been to Russia now numerous times. The latest was two weeks ago, and. There is a different kind of quality to Russians. First of all, Russians are lovely people as human beings. I I find them extremely attractive, creative, humorful. Russian humor is is, uh, without par. And uh, there's an optimism in ordinary Russians that I never saw back in the 90s. And it's an optimism about the future. Young Russians... uh, one example is my young publisher who publishes my books in the Russian language. He is, his early thirties. He and his wife worked together on ideas for cover designs for marketing my books as well as other books. And uh, they're just lovely people. They're, they're humorful, they're attentive, they're empathetic and so forth. And I see that everywhere. I, I have many, many Russian friends that I've made over the years. And, uh, it's not this scared bureaucrats of the, the Soviet heritage, Soviet Union era under Stalin and so, where no one dares to open their mouth and say anything. It's, it's a different spirit in Russia. And I think that's what really terrifies some people in Washington, uh, uh, McFowl, the former ambassador and others like that, uh, you know, who see this. They see that this is this is an energy that can Really transform and that that's what's happening in russia i don't I never have witnessed in in St. Petersburg in the last six months in Moscow several times in the last months uh, I never saw despite all the sanctions, all the bad mouthing in the Western media and so forth. Of course they're not happy about that, but they know that it's lies they know that what is being said about what goes on in Ukraine are absolute lies that Washington Victoria Nuland, the Assistant Secretary of State for Europe and Eastern Europe, she essentially led a coup d'etat with Senator John McCain, with Vice President Joe Biden, with Ambassador Payat in in Kiev, and uh, brought a bunch of CIA trained neo Nazis, and that's what they call themselves. They have uh, Nazi swastikas tattooed on their arms, they wear these black masks, and they go, I I have friends in Ukraine, they say these pravi sectors, what they're called, the pravi sector neo-Nazis go with, with clubs and guns into homes of people in, in Kiev, all over Ukraine, who are accused by their neighbors of speaking Russian, a great crime, because Russian and Ukrainian are very, very close. Right. It's like two dialects and, you know, uh South Carolina and Minnesota, they're, they're both speaking English, but they're two distinct dialects. And uh, then they come in and say, this is not your home. We have the papers. We take this over. You know, just they're, they're thugs, they're thieves. And that, that violence and terror was put into place in order to create this civil war in Eastern Ukraine in the hopes, and this is the thing that's hard maybe for many Americans to, to grasp. The Washington neocons, the the Victoria Nuland, uh, the the, uh, 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 Ashton Carter, the Secretary of Defense now, uh, Susan B. Rice and and Susan Rice and, and others, they want Russia to make a mistake. They want Putin to intervene with troops in eastern Ukraine in order to give them an excuse for a new war, military contracts to the trillions of dollars, because uh, you know, this sequestration before the Ukraine uh, coup d'etat, and it was a coup d'etat, George Friedman of Stratfor said as much, the most blatant coup d'etat in U.S. history was the coup in Kiev that uh, Victoria Nuland uh, uh, was the cheerleader for two year, a year and a half ago. And the aim of that was to get Russia off balance so that NATO could say, okay, we're in a shooting war with Russia. Let's finish them off now. Thank the Lord that uh, Putin and the Russian uh, military and the uh, prevailing government in Moscow did not take the bait and have not taken the bait. And uh, it's been extremely painful. There's something like one million Eastern Ukrainian Russian-speaking refugees because keep in mind during the USSR days, Soviet Union, It was one country, one economy. There was no idea that I'm Ukrainian and you're Russian. It was Kiev, Rus. It was hundreds of years of history of living together.
0: Exactly. And this is one part that, in that part of the world, they see it one way. We see it here because of the media. Now, you said something interesting. The people in Russia, the sanctions. Have the sanctions imposed on Russia by the West, have they been effective or have they boomerang and the Russian people are actually rallying around Putin?
1: Oh, Putin's popularity since the sanctions is is in the high 80s, Uh, a number that someone like Obama or George W. Bush could only uh, dream about. Uh, Putin is considered to be representing Russian interests in a very tough and a fair way. Every speech he's made, and I've cross-checked every speech because that's my my job as a historian, as, a, as a, an economist, as a political analyst. Everything he's accused the West of has been accurate. He has not exaggerated one time. And uh, the media just twists that around and lies and say, okay, more lies from Moscow and so forth. This is an old game that uh, was used by Joe McCarthy and Uh, the Cold War faction of of C.I.A. during the 50s to justify this huge uh, national security state that turned the United States of America into a uh, nation on the brink of war permanently, almost.
0: Is it because we don't want... Nation states, and this is exactly what Russia is, and it, be, it becomes stronger all the time. Because there's this notion over here that oh, the economy in Russia is, is crumbling, and what we saw in the price of oil. In my opinion, this was concerted between perhaps Saudi Arabia. And you are an expert on oil. Correct me if I'm wrong, but was it a concerted effort to to keep the price, keep the supply high, the price low, so that Russia could suffer?
1: Sure. Oh, yeah. There was a meeting in September in in Saudi Arabia between John Kerry and uh, then King Abdullah. And that was precisely what was discussed. The only uh, kicker in the deal was that the Saudis agreed to do that. They had done that in 1986. I talk about this in my book, The Century of War, Anglo-American Oil Politics. Uh, Washington had done that in 1986, for uh, the reason of weakening the Soviet Union during the Mujahideen CIA operation against uh, Russia in Afghanistan, uh, in Nicaragua with the Contras against the government there, which was backed by Russia, the Soviet Union back then, and uh, and various other places. And then the the Star Wars missile defense thing, which I think broke the back of, of Russia in terms of the resources they had to devote to it in order to uh, keep up with the United States and not be outflanked. So this was a rerun of an old scenario and the people who decided to rerun it weren't very intelligent because the Saudis have their own agenda and one of them is to knock out the shale oil uh, factor competition from the United States. The United States uh, in 2014 produced more oil than Saudi Arabia on a daily basis toward the end of the year. And the Saudis don't like that. They like being the world's biggest oil producers close to Russia with that honor. And that for the Saudis is power. That's their kind of silly notion of, of power. Uh, but be that as it may, that is. And now what they're doing is letting the trillion-dollar American shale oil industry go slowly belly up. And it's I predict within six months we're going to see a wave of bankruptcies in shale companies across the United States, in North Dakota, in Pennsylvania, in Texas, uh, and so forth. Uh, I don't know how much shale is going on in, in your neck of the woods, but I think there is a significant amount there, too.
0: Wow, Texas uh, and North Dakota, I mean, pl- places that the economy hasn't really touched that much negatively.
1: Yeah. And that—that that is, I think, about the only bright spot since 2008, with the uh, subprime and the financial crisis breaking. That's right. the only bright spot in creating jobs in the economy, and that's about to go belly up. And that is going to have a wave of defaults. On the, these companies are financing their drilling through junk bonds, what are called in the in the trade junk bonds means. Uh, if the company goes bankrupt, uh, you don't get anything as a, as a creditor uh, for holding those bonds. Be- they become junk or worthless paper. So uh, the That is going to have huge effects on the U.S. economy, and it is already having effects. There are companies starting to go bankrupt. What they've been doing up until now is producing like there's no tomorrow in order to get enough money at the lower price to keep their bank credit uh, intact so they don't get uh, get cut off from from uh, you know credit uh, debt rollovers and uh, at a certain point that's going to give out and when that does it's going to be really messy folks really
0: you're messy. He- folks you're hearing this right here not in the mainstream media and the signs are right there i've been wondering why the price of oil is the way it is and also i have a, a beach house in mexico close to the border in arizona william and I'm very surprised, Mexico being a, an all-producing country, that they're paying there about $4 a gallon. Why is that?
1: Well, that I, I didn't know. I don't follow the, the domestic gas prices, gasoline prices in Mexico. Uh, it's because the same interests, uh, Anglo-American oil interests, control the market uh, pretty much in Europe, as well as in Mexico and uh, the United States, NAFTA maybe.
0: Interesting. Now, what's your opinion on Putin's recent 11-day absence from uh, public view? What was the reason for that?
1: <laughs> it certainly led to a lot of speculation in the West. <laughs> yes. I I don't know. I have no idea what his reason was. Maybe he needed uh, time to think through Russia's next moves. You know, he's been going all this talk about isolating Russia. Russia has had the most active international diplomacy in the last uh, Twelve or, or so months of any nation I can think of, with the exception of China, they have been in, all over the place, see, signing deals with India, signing deals with Brazil, signing deals with uh, Central America, and uh, pretty much everywhere in the world. So, except the United States, of course.
0: Now, um, go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, I'm just saying. So uh, it could well be that. Uh, he simply disappeared from the radar screen for eleven days in order to uh, caucus with trusted advisors about uh, about the next strategy. he's a he's a chess player. he's a that's right a, a man who reflects his next three, four, five, six moves beforehand
0: now the the uh, the assassination of opposition politician uh, Boris Netzov, was it a false flag event to destabilize stabilize Putin?
1: It's certainly, uh, every indication is that's what it was. It makes no sense otherwise. Nemtsov was a nothing. He had 1% popularity. He was was a creature of the old Yeltsin mafia, uh, one of these free market boys from Jeffrey Sachs and Harvard, quiz kids and so forth, uh, a pupil of Yegor Gaidar uh, and company, the privatization gang around Yeltsin. And uh, ordinary Russians, Thought nothing of him. He wasn't looked up to as a great symbol of freedom and democracy and so forth. That's uh, so. I think there was somebody in some intelligence agency in the West decided he would be uh, a useful uh, martyr for the cause of democracy because he wasn't worth anything as a leader of a so-called opposition movement or color revolution.
0: But of course, it makes this. It, it makes it obvious to the media. Uh, to portray Putin as the person who was behind the uh, the killing, but going back to Ukraine for a moment, Ukraine has well,
1: been. Let's just stop there for a second. Yeah, what would it gain Putin in the middle, right outside the Kremlin on the bridge there? And I've been to that bridge. What would it gain Putin to uh, to shoot him? He was no threat to Putin whatsoever. So, uh, I mean, the Western media is sometimes. Really quite
0: silly. It is silly, and that shows the dumbing down of the population, because yep. nobody here has heard of that figure. This man only had a 1% approval rating. So yep. if that's the case, why even proceed with it? But going back to Ukraine for a moment, they've been trying to, to join NATO or applying for NATO since 2008, but the 2004 coup that failed... They call it yep. a revolution. Now it succeeds. Yep. The Orange Revolution. And now it succeeded in 2014. But is the main goal here to have Ukraine be part of NATO so that in the event that one Russian troop steps on Ukraine, boom, NATO intervenes? And World War three start, starts?
1: I think that's, uh, Washington knows that that's not about to happen. I mean, Europe does not want to fight a third war on the european continent against russia certainly not a nuclear war and it was in 2008 that germany and france vetoed membership in nato for for ukraine and that hasn't changed uh, right now ukraine is a failed state it's bankrupt it's absolutely uh, beyond belief what's been done to that country by by the west by the eu by on purpose EU, EU, On purpose, yeah, Uh, in order to create this festering sore on on Russia's border to break the economic relationship between Russia and Western Europe, especially Germany. The Russian-German ties go back uh, over two centuries, really. There's a a very strong cultural affinity between Russians and and Germans. Uh, It's a fascinating subject. I've lived in Germany for three decades and uh, studied this quite intensively over different periods, and uh, they understand each other's mentality in, in a certain way very, very deeply. But uh, I think one of the aims was to break that because Europe was getting too close. France and Germany, Italy, they were getting too close to Russia. Russia is a vast market, huge potential for building factories, European factories, to make cars, to uh, invest in infrastructure, and so forth. And so by blowing up Ukraine between Russia and Western Europe, that all the pipelines, the gas pipelines that go through there and so forth, uh, you create a crisis in the EU that was beginning to get a little bit uh, too long a leash away from Washington. And uh, you create a crisis in Russia, which has the potential to really be independent of, of the West. Especially since Putin came back as president two, year, two and a half years ago,
0: I hate to be conspiratorial or speculative because I know you Why? deal you, well. <laughs> <laughs> because I know you deal with fact. But I remember a few w- weeks ago when when France was, you know, showing a voice against more Russian sanctions. All of a sudden, what do we get? The Charlie Hebdo attack, almost as if saying, "France, shut up, or else."
1: Well there was another incident too the CEO of the largest French oil company Total was in Moscow in in the winter giving a speech against the sanctions how how foolish that was for Europe and so forth to be sanctioning Russia and calling for an end to them and a bizarre accident with his private plane that night in a Moscow airport ended his life huh. and then uh, Right after the Minsk talks, the second round of the Minsk talks to create a diplomatic solution to the Kiev-Russia-Eastern Ukraine war, civil war there, uh, keep in mind who was invited to those Minsk talks. It was the European Union, Germany, France, and so forth, the foreign ministers. It was Russia. It was Kiev, Poroshenko, the president. And... It was not the United States. Well, what happens? Interestingly enough, a German Airbus, Airbus is a French, mainly French and German uh, joint venture company. Uh, an Airbus airplane crashes into a mountain in France on its way back to Germany. Uh, Lufthansa uh, daughter company. Uh, German wings. German wings. And One can't help but wonder if that was a not-so-veiled message to Germany and France. We can knock down any one of your airplanes through remote control intercepts that we have the capability to do, uh, and you can't stop us, so you better behave yourself. Uh, You know, this this is really—the Europeans are being terrorized by the neocons in Washington, by— uh people like McCain and, and Biden and so forth to toe the line and you know nobody likes to be ordered around or be like slaves and so forth we're human beings and uh, I, I don't know why uh, we don't stop doing this to the rest of the world you know the, the people people who are running Washington uh, these days I think would uh, do very well to get out of politics and and uh, uh, go into a religious retreat somewhere and leave their guns behind.
0: <laughs> Forever. Forever. Now, in the distant past, uh, you mentioned the the, the the closeness between Germany and, and Russia, maybe France, but in the distant past, Russia and Germany were, or not too distant past, were very close. Take the example of our Kaiser Wilhelm of Germany and Tsar Nicholas of Russia. They were cousins. Is there a concerted effort to rupture That growing German economic cooperation with Russia, if so, why? Yes,
1: Yes. well, George Friedman said as much in a recent interview uh, of Stratfor, the uh, Pentagon CIA consulting uh, uh, group from Austin, Texas. Uh, Friedman, who is one of the few Americans who knows what the word uh, geopolitics means historically, Uh, I'll give him credit for that, certainly. But uh, he said, American policy for 100 years has been to prevent, American foreign policy has been to prevent a functioning alliance between Russia and Germany. And that is exactly the point of the background to the First World War. There was a manipulation that point by the British mainly, because the Americans weren't into Europe in such a big way then. They were just emerging. The American elite, the Wall Street establishment, the Rockefellers, the J.P. Morgans, and so forth, but uh, the British manipulated a secret entente, where they convinced the court of the Tsar, and this was a fundamental mistake that Tsar Nicholas II made, and he was fundamentally a good Tsar, a good uh, you know a good monarch, Uh, but I think he got uh, his court got corrupted and manipulated by. Uh, various personages, likely by Rasputin and whoever was controlling Rasputin. We can only speculate if it was British intelligence. Uh, In any case, they made this uh, entente with England against Germany so that when the assassination in Sarajevo of the Archduke Francis Ferdinand,
0: Ferdinand,
1: the heir to the Austrian throne, uh, took place, it was a series of dominoes that you could have predicted would fall, and the German ambassador went out from the meeting with the Tsar weeping tears because he knew that war between Russia and Germany was a foregone conclusion. The same thing with the Second World War. Uh, you know, the the British Empire pitted the German Empire against the Russian Empire of Stalin in the Second World War and
0: uh, with poland
1: uh, yeah the uh, the policy the anglo-american policy if you want to look at it that way uh, the anglo-american establishment or oligarchs have had that policy because it's it's fundamental to geopolitics and that is geography and politics political power the geography of a german russian alliance means you have a land power economically and manpower-wise and education-wise and raw material-wise, that has absolutely every resource they need to build anything they want. They don't need to import it from the United States or from anywhere else. And uh, that's something the British and the American oligarchs never wanted to tolerate. It's fascinating if, if you if one goes into history a little bit and and gets a longer term perspective, you see so clearly the same patterns repeat again and again and again. And now it's trying to drive a wedge by forcing Germany to impose these sanctions, which German industry is adamantly opposed to. But uh, Merkel has a, a pistol to her head from Washington to do this, and uh, you know she uh, feels that she has no choice. It's unfortunate, but. I think I think in the next 6 to 12 months we are going to have the likelihood of a French German distancing from NATO that has never taken place before because the Washington policy is becoming so insane.
0: I feel bad for the French and the Germans if we if the Amer- the German wings plane is a an indicator and the Charlie Hebdo is another indicator Huh. You see where I'm coming from. It seems that that's, that's the way they do it. But if NATO, is is NATO Russia's biggest threat? And is NATO trying to destroy Russia as a functioning state? And if so, what is the real reason?
1: Well, it's what you said a few minutes ago about the destruction of the nation state. And Russia is a nation state that stabilizes a whole array of other nation states from Cuba, Venezuela, uh, and it's not communist ideology or whatever. It's a fact that uh, they give an alternative to the gangsterism of Wall Street banks and, and uh, Washington uh, You know, credit terms that tell the country through the International Monetary Fund, uh, you have to privatize, you have to uh, lay off all your public workers, get rid of your state companies to uh private interests like George Soros or David Rockefeller uh or their friends and uh Russia provides an alternative and a hope and this is the important thing that there is hope in the world for something other than all this ridiculous killing of human beings we're all human beings at the end of the day american chinese russian haitian uh Congolese, it doesn't matter. We're all human beings. And we all have one creator. And that we have forgotten somewhere along the path, I think.
0: You know, I'm in Arizona, William, and there are a lot of defense contractors here. So I surround myself with a lot of them at social gatherings. And I was talking to one engineer the other day, and I said, you know, tell me about sequestration. And and now that we're really not that much into the same war that we were maybe 10 years ago. And he said, that's okay. We're just doing what we're doing now. It's a lot of exports to other countries. Are so, we fighting? Because the American population doesn't want more wars. Are we fighting via proxies now?
1: Oh, very much so. But that, that's been the case. But I think it's more the case now because there's more fighting going on in the world now than there was 10 years ago, than it was 15 years ago. And uh, I think the, the people behind the military-industrial complex, there's a, a study that was done, actually quite a brilliant mathematical analysis by the leading technical university in Switzerland called ETH. It's Switzerland's MIT or Caltech, if you will. And they did an analysis of economic power in the world and they got data on publicly owned companies corporations stock companies and came up with a chart through directorships on different corporate boards through ownership of stock shares in different companies you know who what what networks uh, are behind this and they came to the fascinating result that there were 147 Mammoth corporations led by the Mammoth Wall Street banks, uh multi-trillion dollar balance sheet balance sheets that are larger than the gross domestic product of most nations on earth. For a for a private bank, this is ridiculous. Uh and that these 147 companies, British, American, to a certain extent, Swiss, like the Union Bank of Switzerland, UBS, uh and the Boston funds like Fidelity, Magellan, the State Street Bank, and so forth, that they, through stock ownership, they control the vast wealth of this planet. And that is a really skewed system. That's a result of this free trade, of the World Trade Organization knocking down national barriers, bankrupting national companies, and uh, developing countries that have not the resources to defend against. Uh, European or U.S. multinationals, and uh, it's, it's a top-down oligarchy, and that's a very ominous uh, centralization of, of power on this, this uh, planet of ours.
0: When people think of free trade agreements in the United States, they think of NAFTA. Yeah. But what do you know about TPP, about Trans-Pacific the Trans-Pacific Partnership?
1: Well, the TPP and the TIPP the trans uh, transatlantic uh, uh, in trade and investment TTIP transatlantic trade and investment partnership for Europe the European Union are one and the same thing they were drafted by Monsanto and the largest. US multinationals the, the global companies uh, so that they could override European and Asian national laws, protecting the security of products that are sold to their public. So if Monsanto uh, claims that laws in Europe hindering the free distribution of Monsanto poisonous GMO uh, herbicides and and uh, GMO seeds like soy and corn, uh, Monsanto can sue them in an American court where they would know they would win and uh, you know, force all sorts of consequences on, on, on Europe. So it would be a way of creating a corporate private dictatorship over the world economy if that gets passed. I think it's every day that goes by, I think it's less likely that it's going to happen, but it certainly is not a good thing, not for the United States nor for the rest of the world.
0: Isn't this proof that democracy died, and this is a corporate corporatocracy, and this is why these, TPP, for example, I've heard that it was signed behind closed door, or not signed, but arranged behind closed doors by corporate CEOs and nobody from governments.
1: Well, there were government negotiators involved, but uh, this has been top secret from the beginning, and uh, uh, certain things have leaked out little by little, but it's not like the GATT uh trade talks right. the way Round, or the world trade you know it's this is an absolute secrecy because if this stuff gets out uh there would be riots in the streets and the interesting enough a german economic institute came up with an analysis of the positive benefits you know there's a uh, a think tank in in uh, the us that came up with numbers to show this would benefit the economy of europe by uh x billion dollars a year and so forth and the germans took the same numbers and looked at it more closely and they said this is rubbish there would be no positive benefit from this in fact negative jobs would be lost in europe
0: there's this notion i don't know if you've heard about this before that after world war ii there's uh not an agreement but a t- treaty between germany and the allies that basically we have hijacked germany until 2099 when it comes to trade, publishing, media, are you aware of this?
1: No, I'm I'm not, but it wouldn't surprise me.
0: I'll send you some details, because I'd like to get your take on that uh, later. Mm -hmm. But going back to World War II, the script, to me, it seems that it's repeating. Instead of Poland and Hitler going to protect the ethnic Germans, I see Putin going to protect the ethnic Russians in Ukraine. Do you see the similarities of, of these two incidents?
1: Well, I think the neocons in Washington want to make similarities. They always talk about the Munich appeasers. Anyone who opposes their insane agenda for war is a Munich appeaser to the neocons. They don't have very much creativity. They're not very, you know, if you look at John McCain closely, he's not a very intelligent man.
0: He happens to me, unfortunately, my senator.
1: Well, I think you deserve better.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anybody deserves better. But uh, we have to take our one and only break uh, pretty soon. I want to give you a break because it's pretty late uh, in Germany. But Mm -hmm. uh, Cuba-US relations, what do you think is taking place here? Is this... To more or less, uh, and by the way, I'm a product of of all of this. My parents left Cuba to Spain after the missile crisis. But us Cuba relations, all of a sudden happening with with, with what's happening with Putin. Are we doing this so that Putin doesn't put bases in Russia?
1: In in Cuba. In Cuba, Cuba, right. It well might be. The Cuban waters, according to uh, Russian geophysicists that I'm in touch with, The waters offshore of Cuba and offshore of Haiti, interestingly enough, are are swimming in oil, uh, undeveloped oil. And the Russian companies have been in there on a certain level for about six or seven years quietly, helping the Cubans to develop that because if Cuba could develop oil, they could uh, certainly bring their economy out of uh, much of the negative effects of the U.S. embargo that was Put in place how many decades ago? Uh, well, you mentioned the Cuba Missile Crisis. That was 1962, as I recall. And uh, now we have 2015. So the and I think what what Washington is hoping for is to weaken the ties, for example, between Cuba and Venezuela and uh, other. Latin nations that want to be a little bit more independent from the Yankee up north than they have been for the last hundred years. Uh, so I think there there are a number of reasons behind them. None of them good for Cuba.
0: And did Russia prevent our attack on Syria and perhaps Iran too, William?
1: Yes, no question about it. Uh, when Putin offered a way out. For the uh, getting the chemical weapons that are that were held by Bashar al-Assad out of the country under Russian and uh, U.S. supervision, that blew the rug out from under the Obama uh, Pentagon, State Department, uh, war push to simply do to Syria what they did to Libya, bomb it to the Stone Age, and you know the the. The organization that got the Nobel Peace Prize that year was, was the organization that took the chemical weapons out of Syria. And it should have gone by all rights if it was a genuine peace prize. It's not. It's a political peace prize. It should have gone to Putin. He avoided America getting into another shooting war. So what happens is something pops up a year later called the Islamic State of Syria and Iraq, Iraq and Syria, ISIS, and then somebody pointed out that those initials were actually uh, the initials that are used by the Mossad when they describe Israeli secret intelligence services, Israeli secret intelligence services, in their correspondence with US and British uh, counterparts. So they, I think that was the reason they quickly changed it to the Islamic State. But that's a whole other discussion.
0: In Levant, I mean, Obama keeps saying ISIL as in Levant, but it's interesting that when you look for ISISHQ.com, here, not too far away from me, intelligence technology training, ISIS, not too far away from me, in Sierra Vista, very close to Fort Huachuca, I wonder if they just uh, missed it and they used the same acronym. But we have to take a one-on-only break. But let me just say this regarding what I said about the year two thousand ninety-nine with Germany. This is a quote: Two days prior to the enactment of the German Constitution, on twenty-three, 23 May nineteen forty-nine, a secret treaty, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, the Geheimer Satzvertrag, was signed, which gave complete Allied control over electronic and print media, film, culture, and education until the year. Two thousand ninety-nine. That's a hundred and fifty hmm. years. William of subjugation, in a way. What's your take on that?
1: Oh, that can be entirely the case because the shocking thing to me is that uh, when when this whole Maidan Square protest, color revolution uh, of Washington broke out in in November of two thousand thirteen in Kiev in in Ukraine. Every single German newspaper, with no exception, all the mainstream media, was lockstep behind Washington propaganda. Not one of them deviated from the program. And that that I had never seen in 30 years living in Germany, that it was so uniform. I think they just put a, a NATO lock on all German media because they know how... Uh, uh, critical. The Germans understand Russia. They understand this part of the world. You know, the Americans, for them, it's it's largely another planet. It's like Mars, you know. Mars and Venus are having a fight again. Well, that's interesting. That's what's on the next channel.
0: <laughs> yes, that's very interesting. It's almost as if they're disconnected from a lot of the reality that happens around the world, almost as if they have this shield to avoid the population from, and don't get me wrong, I admire German people. I mean, they're so creative and, and the industry is just unparalleled. But to have this dome over them, I always wonder why, and this this is very plausible. But we have to take a one and only intermission, folks. You have to, again, like I said, William Engel's books are just necessary for your library. William, how can people buy the books and learn more about they, your work?
1: They can go the best way and the best way for me because this is how I uh, pay my rent and earn my bread is to go on my website, www.williamengdahl.com, or just Google williamengdahl.com or William williamengdahl. And all of the titles, all the covers are there. Century of War, Full Spectrum Dominance, Totalitarian Democracy in the New World Order, Seeds of Destruction, uh, The Target China, uh, all, all of the books, The Gods of Money, Wall Street, and The Death of the American Century. And you just click on that, and you order it direct from Amazon, and, yeah, I get a certain royalty from that. So that is the easiest way for people to get it. And they also get posting of all my uh, recent articles and archived articles so they can get a fair idea of
0: what I'm talking about. And Target China is the one that I haven't read yet. I think that's the latest one, isn't it?
1: That's the latest one, yeah. yes. no one. I'm in the process of uh, probably sometime in the early summer bringing out uh, my newest book called The Lost Hegemon, Whom the Gods Would Destroy. (laughs) Great title. Thank you. It's about the uh, obscene alliance between the CIA and uh, political Islam, the Muslim Brotherhood and so forth, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, since 1950s, when the CIA discovered what the Nazis had uh, built with certain radical Islam Muslim Brotherhood organizations against the Soviet Red Army, and they simply went to Munich and took this over. And since then, they built up uh, Mujahideen in Afghanistan, then they shipped them over into uh, the former Soviet Union, into Chechnya, into Russia, into China, and, well, the whole book is about that. It's a fascinating and uh, really ugly story, but it's one that has to
0: be told. A lot of people don't know that some of the some Muslims fought it side to side with the Nazis.
1: Well, there was a whole division of the SS called the Hanschar Division, which was composed of Bosnian Muslims, uh, and they killed Serbs and and uh, communists in then Yugoslavia during World War II on the side of the Nazis. They also uh, went against uh, the Red Army and uh, populations in Soviet Union. And uh, it was run by the Grand Mufti of Jerusalem, who was a uh, intimate friend of Heinrich Kimmler and lived in Berlin during the war. He was driven out of the Middle East. And he ran the Arab-language radio broadcast from Radio Berlin through shortwave transmission. Uh, throughout the entire war. And after the war, strangely enough, he could go back to uh, Palestine and, and uh, you know just live a free life. Nobody went after this war criminal.
0: This is Mel Famregas, and I'm here with my special guest, William Engdahl. So much more to discuss when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Thank you for listening to the first segment of this very important Veritas interview. If you enjoyed it and wish to listen to the rest, go to veritasradio.com click on Members, or Subscribe. Or tell someone else who will enjoy this and all our radio programs. If you are listening on YouTube, like, subscribe, and share it. Don't forget to visit the Veritas Store, where you can purchase pure organic sulfur, detoxified iodine, supplements, USB Drive with all our shows, gift certificates, rebounders, and much more. Now, we'll take a short intermission, listen to some music, and I'll see you in the Veritas Member Section. Enjoy.